Butterflies are truly one of God's gift of nature. A creature that sports brilliant colors, flutters around gracefully, and dines only on the nectar provided by beautiful flowers. But there's one butterfly that has more provocative tastes in cuisine. The Purple Emperor isn't as devoted to its sweet tooth as its kin. With utter irony, the stink of death attracts a sheet of this insect's indigo wings to descend. But the juxtaposition of beauty and decay is common in life, death, and taxonomy. Welcome back to Life, Death, and Taxonomy. It's your 30 minutes of interesting animal information. I'm Joe. And I'm Carlos. Thank you to Cassie for the creation of our theme song. To hear more of Cassie's music, please search Cassie Michelle on YouTube or Spotify. And thank you to Johanna for the creation of this week's artwork. To check that out, you can visit us at our home on the web at ldtaxonomy.com. And a very special thank you to our patrons, to uh, Jesse Raspolich, Carol Raspolich, and... Richard Kaspar, thank you so much for your support. It's greatly appreciated. Thanks for helping us keep the lights on. And today we're talking about something with a name that sounds like it could be a fish, a bird, or a flower. But more on that later. Yeah, I I did not know what this was. And then I saw the binomial nomenclature and I still didn't know what this was. <laughs> but we are talking about the purple emperor it also sounds like it could be a street drug like yeah. a like a pill it's like oh you're getting the perps you're getting the purple emperor purple emperor those things take you to the moon <laughs> that's what the, that's what the kids say these days um yeah the purple emperor also known as rusco yeah. mm. uh violet spar Good. It's purple. And uh, carry on my wayward spun. Or carrion. <laughs> my wayward spun. But yeah. You ready to taxonomize this bad boy? Yeah. This should, this should give you an idea of what kind of animal this is. Mm -hmm. The kingdom is animalia. There you go. What is it? It's an animal. You did, <laughs> I did it. <laughs> Very, very informative. The phylum is Arthropoda. Right, so it's definitely uh, not a fish or a bird um, or a drug. The class is Insecta. Uh, getting closer. The order is Lepidoptera. And Here I, we are. At this point, I, we've lost everyone, including myself. This is butterflies. Um, the family is Nymphalidae. The genus is Apatura, Apatura, and the species is Iris. Apatura, Iris. If everything is made to be broken, I just want you to know what I, who I am, what I am. I forgot how that song goes. <laughs> who I am. That's how it goes. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. I was like, what song is that? Don't see me. Uh, the guy needs to enunciate. 
But since we're in the business of naming things, it's time for my favorite part of the show. Cue the music. Critter groups. The part of the show where I ask you, Joe, a question. And that question is the same every time. What is the name of a group of this animal? Or what is the term of entry? Or what is the collective noun? If you saw a group of butterflies uh, after picking your jaw up off the floor, would you call it A, a kaleidoscope of butterflies? B, a tempest of butterflies? C, a column of butterflies? Or D, an iridescence of butterflies? Iridescence was a word on the Wikipedia page, so I'm going to eliminate that one. Tempest sounds really... What was the first one? Kaleidoscope. I want to say a tempest. Final answer. That is incorrect. The answer was A. Kaleidoscope. Kaleidoscope. That one is the most appropriate. Yeah, it does. It's definitely a very, very good term of venery. There's a... um, I say this... I actually see and say this word all the time because it is in the Pout Pout Fish book. The, The squid says, Hi, Mr. Fish. You kaleidoscope of mope. How about a smile, a little joy, a little hope? And um, one, the voice I do for the squid is an Irish voice. So uh, I just, whenever I read this, it's kaleidoscope. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Fish, you kaleidoscope of mope. How about a smile, a little joy, a little hope? <laughs> Dumb Irish squid. Um, I'm going insane is what I'm trying to say. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, but yeah, kaleidoscope. Kaleidoscope of butterflies. Enjoy. Are you ready to hear about what this thing looks like? Would you like this described to your ears? Sure. All right, so the purple emperor butterfly is a mid-sized butterfly with dark brown wings modeled with white spots and bands. There is a small orange ring on each of the lower wings. So if you know about butterflies, they have actually four wings, two uppers and then two lowers. They're smaller. Um, And on the backside, when you're looking down at the butterfly, these orange rings are located on the two lower wings. um, And they, they kind of look like eyes. Like a lot of, uh, a lot of butterflies have that. Look at my giant eyes kind of markings on their wings um under underneath their wings have even bigger eye spots um and the the parts that are white are 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 more pronounced um what gives them their name is that males have a purple iridescence um so yeah it's got that uh it's got that grape drink on, mm-hmm. a wing, on, on a wing and a prayer. Um, as caterpillars, they are green with white bands. Uh, these bands mimic the veins on the leaf, so it looks very much like a you rolled a leaf up. Uh, not making a drug reference there because we've already made one drug joke. Um, they have two horns and are covered with tiny white, you know, uh, chitinous hairs. And... Uh, but these caterpillars turn brown in the winter because the leaves around them turn brown. So they want to. If you want to blend in, you don't want to be green in the winter. No, um, you want to be experienced. 
Right, you you don't want to be green as grass. You want to be brown as a professional. <laughs> <laughs> professional, there's green as grass and professional brown. Um, but yeah, so mid-sized butterfly. It's not. It's it's not uh, the the moonlight butterfly. It's not going to shoot magic at you. Um, it's not the size of a of an Apache helicopter like it is in Dark Souls. But it's also not the smallest butterfly ever. But how big is it? Great question. Welcome to the Blood Measure Up segment, the official listener's favorite part of the show, the part of the show when we present the animal size and dimensions in relatable terms through a quiz that's fun for the whole family. It's also part of the sh show that's introduced by you when you send it out to yourself, saying, singing, or chattering the words measure up into ldtaxonomy at gmail.com. We, we do have a new Measure Up intro this week from Nora, noise. and more specifically from Lily. Noise, double noise. Uh, let's see, Nora. Um, long time listener and friend of the show. My daughter, Lily, who is hard of, hard of hearing, but enjoys when I tell her about the animals after I listen to them, uh, sent, she sent in a recording. So we're going to hear that. Also, I don't know how young she is or if she would care, but there is a full transcript of our episodes well, not an exact transcript, but our, our notes and usually what we pretty close to what we talk about unless we go off of meandering. Which we um, never do. On the on the website, ldtaxonomy.com. And there's videos on YouTube with probably not too accurate but decent um, Closed captioning. Closed captioning, yeah. Uh I'm sure that's gonna get better and better as AI gets better and better. I hope so because I have to do it for work, um, and editing closed captioning is a is a is a bear. <laughs> uh, but uh, let's let's without further ado, the listener's favorite part of the show. Classic. So, could you hear that? I've, it, it sounds like you turned it up halfway through. Let me go again. Yeah. Solid. It's clear. Well enunciated. Well enunciated. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, in, interestingly enough, uh, we, we, my wife and I just had our, our third uh, child. It's a girl. And I was pushing for the name Lily. Uh, we, but, uh, my wife gets to name the girls. So we named her Melody, which is also a very nice name, but my, my, uh, input was Lily. So it's a, it's a good name. It is a good, Lily is a good name. It like this butterfly sounds like a flower. It's very appropriate. Yep. It all works. It all works together. Well, thank you, Lily. And thank you, Nora for, uh, um, being the sound engineer on that uh, wonderful recording. Yes. Thank you for putting the team on your shoulders once again. That's right. She actually sent this in a while ago, but I forgot about it last week. We, we could have done it last week. Shame. But last week we had technical difficulties and there was no video. So this is a better episode to be on anyway. True, true. Uh, let's, call, let's get into male wingspan. 
They are 70 to 80 millimeters or 2.8 to 3.1 inches. How many male butterfly wingspans go into the effective firing range of the M1 Garand? The 2.1 inches, you said? 3.1 inches. 3.1 inches. Okay, got it. Firing range of the M1 Garand. There we there we actually have some World War II uh, stuff. And it combines guns and World War II. The two things. Yeah. Currently well, here's a hint. The M1 Garand was the premier semi-automatic rifle used by Allied troops in World War II. And around 5.4 million were made for that conflict alone. It was a standard rifle in all branches of U.S. military in an age when the average German infantryman had a slower-firing bolt-action rifle. Yeah, they the had fact a that Car 97 or something like that. Uh-huh. The fact that the common soldier uh, was equipped with more firepower than the common enemy made the Garand an excellent weapon in World War II. According to General George S. Patton, it was the greatest battle implement ever devised. I... I'm gonna go. I have. To, I I feel like many people would disagree with that. <laughs> he hadn't. He hadn't known about the bomb yet. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, the bomb's a big one. Planes are a big one. Um. He did know about planes. They really changed things up. Well, like tanks. Are, are I'm sure. Vehicles um, in general. I'm sure from a an old Ra- time radio. Man, think about <laughs> how what, how radio changed warfare. But I, I think like um, submarines, radar. There's radio, so many technological. I don't know. Influence. Radio, radio killed the drum and fife player battalions. You know, <laughs> that's not fun. <laughs> if, <laughs> those uh, that that enviable position of the piccolo. <laughs> the war piccolo the war fife the the i although i i think like the fact what we're talking about with the garand is the fact that like we've developed a gun that is better than what the enemy has and we mass produced it it's mass producible yeah we made our average guy better than your average guy so that's pretty great it's pretty grand yeah um so the if I remember right, the M1 Grand is a thirty odd six, which is a really large and high powered rifle round that you would use to like hunt elk at, in modern modern times. I've fought a th- I've, I've I've fought one. I I punched a thirty odd six in the face it, because it disrespected me and my clan. Uh, no, I've <laughs> shot a thirty odd six. Boy Scouts, and I even uh, made my own round with bullet and gunpowder and shell and primer and all that stuff, which was fun. Um, but I uh, so it's effective range. Uh, it, it I do I would like to fire an M1 Garand at one point. It seems fun, especially when you finish the chamber and it makes the ping sound. Yeah, I want to hear that typewriter. I mean, you finish like, the uh, yeah. <laughs> I want to. I, w- I want to hear in real life what I've heard so many times in all the World War II video games I played as a kid. Yes. Um. 
It's funny when you play those World War II video games, the German ca- bolt action car is a lot more powerful than the Grand, even though they fired the same cartridge. Uh, but just the M1 Grand fired it faster. <laughs> or I think they fired. Uh, the, I'm pretty sure they fired the same cartridge. Um, but you know, yes, in, in video, it is thirty odd six. By the way, in video games, you have to if you, if a gun is slower, it has to be more powerful. Otherwise, no one would use it. Um, a thousand yards, three thousand feet. Nah. Yeah, I'm. A thousand is a lot. You said effective range. Yes. It may be that may be too much. I'm gonna say seven hundred yards, which puts us at twenty-one hundred feet. Now. Effective firing range, does that refer to, like, that refers to the distance the 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 round will travel and still be deadly? No, I think it's, I think it's the, the distance that you can get, you can have reliable accuracy at. Oh, well, okay. Because, I mean, to increase a gun's effect... It, with your definition, to increase its firing range, you just need to aim, aim it up. Because <laughs> it's deadly until it hits the ground. And so by aiming it up, it'll take longer to hit not, the ground and go further. Isn't that not true? Like, couldn't you fight... Like, if you fire twenty two, if you're far enough away, won't it just bounce off your chest? Um... It loses velocity. Yeah, it loses velocity. It starts to tumble and stuff like that, but not a 30-odd six round. I, I guess, like, eventually, depending on the if the round is small enough, it can be not dangerous at a, cert, uh, at a certain distance. But to increase its range, you just need to make it stay in the air for longer. I would say 8,000... 8, Butterflies is the is the effective range of the grand. Final answer. Yeah. Final grand answer. Grand answer. Yeah. Correct grand answer was five thousand seven hundred and twelve. Ah, so it's like what is it like a four hundred yards? Five hundred yards. Four hundred and fifty-seven meters. Five hundred. Even that, I was thinking like that's kind of a long time. Like. Think about like firing a gun, the length of even one football field. Yeah, but then you put a scope on it, and then suddenly it becomes not as big of an issue. True, true. I just I just know that at the gun range that I go to, the furthest distance is two hundred yards, and the guys who have like actual hunting rifles, it's there's not a problem at all for them. Especially, gotcha. and if you have optics on it but like if if you just have iron sights on an ar-15 or something like that it's it's tough to hit stuff at 200 yards interesting 500 yards though is pretty good pretty good for a standard issue rifle huh in world war ii you can hit a lot of krauts with that from very far away can i say uh, krauts is that or is that uh is, is that not pc I don't I, think you'd want to call someone a kraut today, but like can I that's call them just Jerry? a term from World War II, I think. 
Kraut. Can you say Kraut? Sauerkraut. <laughs> Is that it's just fine. Rommel? <laughs> He's just a sauerkraut. <laughs> Can you <laughs> say Kraut? Google. Can you can you ask the, uh, the can you ask the um kraut is a German word for cabbage. So we were just like, oh, <laughs> in the the US, like uh, Allied soldiers were just like, they eat sauerkraut, they eat cabbage. We're gonna call them cabbage. Yeah, they they called the French frogs because they eat frogs because they, they eat frogs, I guess. And I guess they called the British toast. <laughs> yeah, and they should uh, beans on toast. Be <laughs> We're gonna go join the beans on toast and the maple syrups. To, and, the and we could have been called the hot dogs or we the burgers. Been called the hamburgers. <laughs> we could have been called the cheese whiz. That would have been great. All right, give me another one. I was not. That was not a nursing school victory. Okay, let's talk about female wingspan. They're slightly bigger at eight, 80 to 92 millimeters or 3.6 inches. How many female purple emperors go in? Uh, uh, I could have just said a purple empress. Go into the length of the English longbow. Oh, now we're, we're, going, we're going the way back machine. Yeah. Here's a hint. The English longbow was predominantly used in the Hundred Years' War in the late or in the 14th and 15th centuries. It's long range up to it's up to 1000 yards. So it's better than the M1 Garand. <laughs> uh, it's long range gave the English an advantage in ranged combat. And its draw weight was around 150 to 180 pounds. Can you imagine successfully hitting something at a thousand yards? Did you say a thousand yards? Yes. But a that's like you. Three thousand feet crowd. away. Yeah. You're just and on some ramparts, shooting into the distance at a bunch of enemy soldiers. Yeah, you, you, I mean, just shooting directly, or not directly, but like a what a ninety-two degree angle, <laughs> like just barely off of the of straight up, and eventually and it will come down when with just its terminal velocity kill somebody. And imagine you are a French soldier on the wall and you shoot into the enemy camp and you kill the king of england and then they flay you for it is that what happened and that that's what happened to king richard the third uh the lionheart the first man flaying. but that wasn't a longbow that was probably a crossbow or something i wonder what the french ate back then i wonder what they called them um okay mutton yeah mead mutton I'm going to say five feet is the length of this bow. So 16. 16 butterflies. Final answer? Yes. 
The correct answer is 20. So this is like a six-foot bow? Yep. The bow had an average length of around six feet or 1.8 meters. That is a nursing school victory exactly. Congratulations. (laughs) You can be a nurse. I I was distracted because I was looking up uh, if when the crossbow was invented because it was like uh, Richard was like an 1100 like 1100 AD so he's like would the crossbow have been invented and absolutely it was apparently it was invented as early as 2000 BC I mean it's just like a bow that has something that's allows it to stay drawn so yeah, doesn't seem like it would be. And it, it seems like something someone would think of trying to do very early on after the bow was invented. Seventh to fifth century BC. Saul and was killed by in... a random arrow. Saul. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Or he was. Yeah, he he was killed by a random arrow. I wonder if Richard the Lionheart is apocryphal. No, he was killed by himself. Sorry, he Saul. Saul jumped on his own sword, but yeah, he was yeah, injured yeah. by an arrow. I don't think Saul is the character you would want to model your That's ideal true. king off of. That's true. Um, yeah, so like we're not gonna take a page out of Saul's book. Plus, he killed himself. Yeah, that's pretty not Lionheartish. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's get into... Oh, do you have any fast facts before we get into the major fact? I sure do. So, the Purple Emperor lives in woodlands with plants with broad leaves and uh, lives all across Europe and all the way east to China. So, it lives in the... uh, uh, all above the equator in the eastern hemisphere. Um, Females spend most of their lives in the tree canopy... They uh, like oak for the most part, uh, woodlands with oaks in them, um, and densely populated with oak trees. They only come down from the tree canopy to lay eggs, um, and uh, males spend much of their time up in the tree canopies as well, but that is to defend their territory from other uh, male rivals. But they will come down uh, from the canopies to drink from puddles or feed um, because they fight so much. That's why I call them violet spar. Um, They lay their eggs on sallow leaves in the summer. These eggs hatch into caterpillars with the horns Um, soon afterwards. And they spend most of their time on the mid-rib of the leaf, which is just the center line. They eat at night. Um, and then when winter comes, they actually hibernate. So they go into like a top- torpor state. Uh, and they change their color to brown, like I said, so that they still blend in. If you look at a picture of the caterpillar, like it is very, very leaf-like. It's, it, it's, it's camouflage is pretty spot on. Um, so it helps to turn brown when the leaf you're on turns brown. Um, then spring comes and then the summer hits and they build a cocoon. 
Uh, they spin a cocoon like pretty much ever uh, most caterpillars do and um, that cocoon looks just like a, a leaf that's kind of hanging off the edge so again with the uh, um, with the ruse with the rusco emperor rusco um, and then they uh, they emerge they don the emperor's new clothes and they are a beautiful butterfly uh, and I will leave it at that because uh, I don't want to talk too much about what they eat well, let's get into the major fact that I'm calling Purple Putrid Eater. <laughs> Two so, eyed. Two horned. Because it's a. It, and as a caterpillar, it has two horns. True. Flying Purple Putrid Eater. That's, that works. The Purple Emperor butterfly differ, differs from other butterflies in that it does not obtain its nourishment from flowers and nectar. You know, the, the 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 typical butterfly fashion of being just these graceful, beautiful things sipping on sugar juice from a nice flower. No, no, no. Instead, uh, it's drawn to more pungent flavors, including honeydew secreted from aphids. I looked up what honeydew... We've talked about this before, but I looked up like... What is that stuff? What's it for? And apparently it's like when the aphid like puts its mouth parts and breaks into like a vein of sap in a leaf or a tree or in bark or something. I like all of these words. Go on. The liquid shoots up into its proboscis Mm -hmm. and the pressure makes it like just ooze out of like an orifice on the other side. So it's like a depressurizing valve that I, I don't want to go too top shelf with this, but I have to say that's probably the best sentence you've ever said. (laughs) (laughs) Which part did you like? Um, Something I liked veins. Uh, I liked um, orifice. That was a, that was a particularly <laughs> good part of the sentence. Yeah, yeah. Um, mouth parts was a great way to open it. <laughs> so uh, bravo. So they like to eat the um, the liquid that shoots through an aphid. Um, but they also will eat sap oozing from oak trees. That's kind of like their main thing. What you mentioned is uh, they 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 hang a lot, hang out in trees, so they're eating a lot of sap, but they'll also eat dung, urine, and animal carcasses. It's a hard left turn there. Sap is is uh, is just such a butterfly thing to eat. Those other That's things true. are not. It does like it's it's basically akin to the sugar water, in nectar. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, poo-poo and urine and animal carcasses. That's not what you want, but it's what they want. Um, it's something of a mystery why these butterflies have diets more like house flies. But unlike flies, purple emperors have long tongue-like proboscises, like other butterflies, rather than the short straw-like tubes that a, a fly has. So when it finds its rotten meal, it will dab the long yellow tongue onto it, 
Collecting nasty, moist nutrients. Now that was a sentence This is just getting better and better. <laughs> this, I like the sequel. Yeah, we'll see if this is a good trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> Butterfly watchers and photographers in the UK are avid hunters of a glimpse are of they, the purple feces eaters. Are they aphid hunters? Uh, no, not quite. Um, they call the males his majesty out of reverence. Oh my god. Because goodness. he's he is an uh, uh, they are British are, and they are drawn to are those just giving pronouns? homage to uh monarchs. And it is an emperor. So the purple purple emperors are naturally elusive and spend most of their time high up in the canopy canopies. Like you said, uh getting drunk on sap and fighting in in fighting with other males. As emperors are wont to do. Yeah. However, they will descend if they detect a pungent prize to eat. So photographers will bait the ground with all kinds of succulent meals, including shrimp paste, dirty diapers, dead fish, stinky cheese, old banana peels, and dog poop. The idea of handling and hauling a dirty diaper into the woods <laughs> for any extended period of time is repugnant. What if impossible. they bring bring the kids to like serve up fresh meals so they don't have to do that? That makes a little bit more sense. <laughs> you brought your kid on a nature walk. And you have to change them and you're just like, well, might as well chuck this into the middle of the trail and hope a butterfly eats it. <laughs> well, just imagine, but like imagine being like somebody who loves catching a glimpse of these butterflies. Maybe you're a nature photographer. At least when you're changing your one millionth diaper, you're thinking like this will serve some good. I, mean, I can make something of this. It's a little consolation. Yeah, I guess it's like a... It's a bit of a silver lining, <laughs> which you need. These diapers need silver linings, heavens. <clears throat> they get worse so, and worse every year. Some observers even collect roadkill to make a pleasing tribute to the emperor. People have their own concoctions that they swear by, similar to fishermen with their favorite bait. Um, for instance... Some claim that the best butterfly attractor is urine-soaked fox urine or fox feces. Urine-soaked urine. You yeah, so, it's well, a, a delicate process. <laughs> but urine-soaked fox feces, which seems like a challenging thing to find, like while you're already trying to find a challenging to find butterfly. It's like I'm going to get up early in the morning and hunt the wilderness for a fox's trail. Yeah, but what if you've already got a a fox on hand? Then like then you keep all a fox. Then all your troubles are over. The butterflies also seem to like sweat, so they'll land on observers themselves. See, that sounds like the way to go, because then you get to have a Disney princess moment alongside it. True. So, why would you handle a dirty diaper even for one second when you didn't have to? When you could just 
like do Pilates and one will land on your nose? Well, I think the apparently like this, the fish paste I mentioned, the shrimp paste, there's like particular brands people are like, this is the brand. You have to bring this. It stinks so bad, but you got to bring it. Um, so maybe the stinkier, the better. Uh, as with many animals that eat weird things, like like deer that chomp down on unsuspecting and trusting birds. Um, <laughs> we talked about that before, right? There's like this video of uh, of bir- of deer, just a bird, like you know, basically straight out of a Disney Disney movie, a bird hopping around a deer who's grazing in a field and then the deer just kind of like happens to see, seems to like decide on the fly. Like, I think I'm going to eat this bird. <laughs> I've never seen this before. Uh, or heard of so, it. So as with other like animals that eat weird things like that, like a deer that's not normally supposed to eat meat, uh, the butterflies might be supplementing their normal diets with salt and minerals uh, that they don't get from high sugar oak sap. So like the deer that is probably supplementing for low calcium when they eat a bird and devour its bones. Um, <laughs> the, the, That's a the butterflies this is are the- supplementing. Yeah. I bet you it's, if you made a movie about it, it would have to be the, uh, what is it, the Chinese water deer? If it's vampire fangs. With fangs. Yeah. Uh, there are many minerals uh, available in feces and rotting flesh that aren't in sugary saps, so the insects may associate powerful scents with special supplementary meals and flock to them while they have the chance. So the, in a normal, natural setting, they might just be flocking to the feces and dead things, but then people find that, oh, this stinky cheese kind of works because it sort of smells like it stinks really bad and the uh the butterflies are none the wiser so they're like oh, okay i'm gonna go eat that i don't really have a lot of uh discretion i just eat things that stink i guess if you're fighting all day and you need to rehydrate it's good to get some salt in you you're fighting and drinking all day give them yeah. gatorade it's got a lot of electrolytes true yeah I my preferred method, I guess, will still be sweat, because that's easy to come by, and does not involve handling uh, a dirty diaper for one fraction of a nanosecond longer than I have to. Yeah, but like you're gonna feel like a real idiot when you aren't catch capturing any photos of butterflies, and everyone else on the trail is hurling their kids' feces at them, <laughs> and getting all the pictures they want. Or or hear me out. What if? I'm the one that has a butterfly land on. I get butterfly kisses on my nose because I did. I was doing jumping jacks in the middle of a European forest, and they're the ones that squatting next to <laughs> squatting next to a pile of their kids' feces with no butterflies to show for it. That's the, even more foolish. Uh, that's the worst case scenario, really. It's a really high risk, high reward. Yeah, if I mean the reward is the same either way. But no, no, the reward is, reward is not the same because remember again, butterfly kisses on the nose. Um, ver- I guess for you versus butterflies over reward. there on that diaper, and then yeah. and then what are you going to do? Take a picture of it? <laughs> That's the one thing I don't understand. 
it's like that doesn't you're go getting in, uh, <laughs> literally a crappy picture. That doesn't go in Nat Geo. <laughs> I put it on some cheese. At least cheese looks okay for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> but you're not going to get like a cheese wedge into Nat Geo either. What, maybe they cover it with leaves. So it just looks like a beautiful butterfly pretty much, of leaves. Yeah, it pretty much it has to land on your eyelashes in order for it to be a good picture. That's the only way to take a good picture of a butterfly these days. They probably have a purple emperor at Butterfly Garden on Sample Road, so just go there. Could be. Could be. But that's all I got. All right. Well, that was the... Was the purple emperor and that was uh disgusting uh so for you out there in podcastia shed your leafy youth don your royal purple robes and remember that roadkill is a veritable smorgasbord like the purple emperor here in life death and taxonomy Hey Taxonomy Titans, I just want to remind you that we now have a Patreon. Patrons can see full video episodes and get shoutouts on the show. But ultimately, it's a way for you to help us cover some costs and get even better. Still, reviews are the best way to help us grow. So if you haven't left one yet, we'd really love to hear from you. As always, thanks for listening and engaging. Imagine scraping up some poor woodland creature from the road on your way up to uh, visit some butterflies. He's like, oh, the butterflies will love this one.